What's up, witches? Hi, it's me, Claudia. And uh, that, that, that's it. Um, it's just me this week, which feels really strange. It's so odd to not have someone sat with me or someone on the screen I can bounce off of. But basically, the person I was meant to be recording with today had to reschedule last minute. And as it's a Friday night, most people actually have lives and have plans tonight. I, on the other hand, I have work at 7am tomorrow, so I have to be up at half five in the morning. So I don't have plans. Um, (laughs) My plan was to record the podcast and then the person I was going to bring on had to reschedule last minute. It happens. So I was left with a bit of a dilemma because the case I'd picked was quite tailored to the person I was doing it with. So I really wanted to keep that case to one side for when we can record, which we're hoping to do in a few days time, actually. And rather than scramble to get another case together and not really do it justice for the victims... I thought, why not trial something that we have in mind for Patreon next year? We've been thinking about this for a little while now, and once a month we'd like to do a sort of news roundup of paranormal news and true crime news. Things that are going on in those worlds, and just chatting about them, so it will normally be me and Jess. But this week, it is just me. Bear with me, I'm sorry if I'm really uh, not very entertaining on my own. Uh, This is an episode that we haven't actually settled firmly on a name yet. We have got two names in the pipeline. One is Broomstick Broadcasts, (laughs) and the other one is The Witch's Word. We aren't dead set on either of these. We like them both, but I think both of them don't quite feel right either. So, this also opens it up to you guys. If you have a name that you think is better than either of those two, tell us about it, and... If we end up picking your name, we will gift you some stickers and also some potential merch that we are currently discussing. (laughs) So, without further ado, here are some recent paranormal stories that have been in the news. And luckily, with it being Halloween just four days ago, the news is filled with paranormal stories. However, this also means that a lot of those paranormal stories aren't necessarily recent. Sometimes they're going back years and years I've tried to just include ones that are a little bit more current. So, first of all, there's a photo going around at the moment with a ghost, maybe a ghost, or in fact ghosts plural, in the background. And it's gone viral after a woman called Beverly Edmondson Cropper shared it. Now, I couldn't actually find the original post of her sharing it. I believe it might have been in one of her local Facebook groups, which would make sense as to why I couldn't find it. I also couldn't find her online to like find her profile. But apparently this photo was found under the floorboards of a home in Lincolnshire by Beverly's husband and son whilst they were renovating the house. So if you look at the photo, and we'll put this up on our socials, the photo shows a mum and a dad, presumably, dressed formally. The dad's in like a top hat, I believe. He's got a suit and tie on. Mum's got a nice dress on. And their presumed son is stood in front of them in the middle. And he looks to be around 12 years old, maybe. Now, the photo is grainy, and the family are dressed in sort of 1960s or so. That's when it's been dated to. Now, at the back, in between the gap between the mother and the father, is the ghostly figure of a man, also in formal wear. But that's not all. Now, the family appear to be stood in front of a church door, like an old Gothic-style church door. 
and some people claim to see the apparition of a tall figure stood in the church doorway. Personally, I can't really see this so much. The monk, or the robed figure, people say it might be a monk, whatever it be in a church and all, I can't really see that. To me, it looks like a blur. I also saw one person in the comments section saying that it looked to them like there was a apparition of like a horse's head almost in front of the man in the couple. I think that's personally a little bit of a stretch. I think that there can be discoloration and wear. On this old photo, it's been under floorboards. If it's from the 1960s, it's been there 60 years. Personally, I can only see the man stood in the middle, but I can see where they're coming from with the other ones. Um, but I think that is a case of pareidolia or them really wanting to see something. Of course, being speculated about online, with one person saying what I think as well, that this could possibly be double exposure or a part exposure. So <laughs> going back to my AS level photography days when we did this as a module, is when you use a slower shutter speed, so the camera sort of clicks the shutter slower, captures the image slower, and then the person can move midway through the photograph, either like duck down out of frame, or they can sort of run across and then you can get a blur across and it produces this sort of ghost-like figure. Now, if you ask me, it looks like that because I think the blur in the doorway that people are calling the robed monk is a blur in the doorway of someone moving through the door because the door is partially opened. I think that the horse's head is discoloration, but I think the man in the middle is a really good example of how it can be very effective to use this method because if he stood there, they click the shutter and it's gonna go for like say two seconds or five seconds even, if halfway through he ducks down, he would be completely hidden by the family in the forefront, but you would see his ghostly outline in the middle. That being said, if it is a ghost photo, it's fucking amazing, because that's a clear bloody ghost. So if it is, and I would love to believe it is, like, you know, I want nothing more than to be able to prove that ghosts exist, okay? I want ghosts to be real. I'm not quite sure why I want them to be so real, but I really do. And I would love nothing more than for this photo to be proof of ghosts. But I just think it's more likely a clever trick. And perhaps we'll never know, because we're not going to be able to show it to an expert because they've reburied the photo under the floorboards for now. Which, if it is a haunted photo, probably the best idea, just to be on the safe side. But I've seen enough horror films to know that if it is a haunted photo, Nothing good can come from it being out in the open. <laughs> but now, jumping from ghosts to ghost experts, next up we have some news from the Queen of Most Haunted herself. And no matter what you think of that ghost hunting show, to be honest with you, I don't really know what my views are. We have to give credit where it's due to Yvette Fielding. Anyway, she recently spoke to a journalist for The Mirror called Kirsten Jones, and she invited her around her house and told her about her house being haunted. So as I said, the two met up in a vet's house, which apparently has a mummified cat on display, which was found under the property's bathtub. According to Yvette, when they moved the cat, all hell broke loose. And so that's why they've kept it. Although the article didn't state if it's still under the bath. Her house does look beautiful though, by the way. Um, you know, if you end up looking up this article, I'm, I'm not gonna post a photo of her house. So apparently the cat was placed there to protect the house, it's believed, because it's thought that mummified cats were believed to offer protection against rats and mice, 
as well as perhaps misfortunes and evil spirits. And I'm not going to lie, if the, ma- <laughs> the mats and rice, <laughs> if the rats and mice bit is true, Karen better get ready to be mummified when she dies because we have squeaky mice in our walls. Mikey is petrified of them. I'm just learning to live them at this point. But you can literally hear them running through the walls in the bathroom if you're in the bath. So yeah, if they really do work to protect you against Matt's almost said <laughs> Matt's and rice again, then I'm I'm afraid that's gonna be Karen's fate. Not she's dead. Don't think there's anything else for it. I gotta try it. And you know what? We all need a bit of help against misfortunes and evil spirits. So I'm I'm prepared to mummify Karen for that if need to be. According to Yvette, she shares her home not only with her husband, but with ghosts as well including that of a cavalier called Charles Deacon, who was murdered by the Roundheads during the English Civil War, and two small children ghosts, called Master Benjamin and Elizabeth. When they first moved in 20 years ago, Yvette and her family, which consisted of her, her husband and their two kids, who are now grown up, they'd walk into the kitchen to find all the chairs stacked on the table like a pyramid, which is very cliché. I'm not saying it's cliché and made up, I just mean like, It's such a cliche poltergeist thing to do both of those things, but especially stacking the chairs on the table like a pyramid. I feel like maybe when you're a ghost, you get, you know, like in Beetlejuice, they get that handbook for the deceased. Maybe you get that as a ghost and it says things like, must stack to pyramid, knock on the door, but don't show yourself. Like, do you get told these little tips and tricks or do you hear of these things whilst you're alive and when you're dead, you're like, hmm. Or maybe you get to choose, like, the things you can do. And some people can do, like, footsteps and some people can stack chairs. I don't know. I was in work the other day and someone was saying, um, oh, you know that impending feeling of doom you feel when you fact you're going to die one day? And I wasn't part of the conversation, so I didn't reply. But I thought to myself, and then I said to my mate later on, I was like, that's when I realised that I'm not mentally stable because I don't get that. And I don't know if that stems from... <laughs> my poor mental health or if it's because I you know obviously speak about death quite a lot but I'm quite at peace with it but in a way one thing that excites me about dying not that I'm trying to get there any quicker but is finding out what happens now it's it's annoying because if I become a ghost and I find out and I can't tell anyone or you know I'm told right well unfortunately you don't get the chance to become a ghost because actually your business is all done and I'm afraid you just get the escalator straight to hell i'm gonna be really annoyed because i'd be like no i need to tell people what i found out that there's life after death like i need to haunt people but anyway that's one thing that i'm genuinely looking forward to but yeah let me know actually do you guys all get a little bit freaked out when you think about dying one day i mean i might feel very different if i was in i've never had a near-death experience like i've never been in a car crash i've never been properly attacked i've been beaten up once but they did minimal damage and have been attacked i've never had like any near-death experiences so maybe i'd feel very different if i you know caught a disease that could kill me or if something happened i might have a total 180. anyway yvette also told kirsten how her mum won't stay over at the house since the night that she stayed and uh, woke up to a man dressed in black standing over her during that stay she also had someone in the utility room who was screaming and trying to get out. To be honest, fair play to her mum. I wouldn't be staying there either. Interestingly, Vivek is not comfortable in her house alone either. 
Apparently, she tells the spirits to behave as they know that she gets freaked out, which we all saw on Most Haunted. She does get freaked out. However, the child ghosts don't always listen, because what kids do. With the vet saying that she recently was laying in bed, just watching TV, late at night, presumably on her own, and heard the floorboards creaking outside her bedroom. She went to grab a baseball bat, as she believed it to be a burglar at first, but then realised it was the little girl ghost, Elizabeth, and so told her off. She states that the floorboards haven't creaked since, but then in the next seance she carried out, the spirit spelt out, Elizabeth was scared, apologise. Which, again, not great parenting of that spirit. Like, what has that spirit learnt? Nothing. Nothing. If anything, how to manipulate you more. Oh, that's all I'm saying. But again, I'm not a parent, if that is. She probably knows better than me. Now, Yvette believes that there are no evil spirits in her house, only good ones. Which, just gonna say, I trust that she knows her spirits more than me, both the ones in her house and just spirits in general. But, <laughs> who is that man dressed in black standing over her mum? Doesn't seem like a chill ghost, seems a bit weird, like, at the very least it's creepy. You know, nothing wrong with being dressed all in black, that's me most days. But standing over someone while they sleep, like, it's creepy. So. They might not be like an evil spirit, but they're a creepy spirit. But hey, she believes there's no evil spirits in the house, only good ones. Including one of her late father, Alan, who died from a heart attack in 2008. Apparently, she talks to him all the time, and just chats to him out loud and he responds, which is really nice. And apparently he once called her a skinny cow when she was dieting. And he once told her mum that she had nice tits from beyond the grave. To be honest with you, if I'm going to have a ghost around, I think I want one like Alan. But yeah, sadly her mum, I did also read later on in the article that her mum has now passed and that she sort of assumed that her mum, being a complete non-believer in spirits, would never be contactable once she died. But nicely, and they have been able to contact her since. So I think that's really nice. I think it must be really nice to have that ability to still speak to your mum and dad once they've passed because losing parents is tough. Even though it is something that we all sort of expect to happen. I'm very fortunate in the fact that I've not gone through it, touch word. But yeah, to be able to still talk to them sounds lovely. I would sign up for that. However, does that mean my mum would see me going to get tattooed and try and like make my morning go wrong so that I didn't? Because my mum's always like, oh, please no more tattoos. And I can just imagine her hearing me say to Mikey, like, oh, I'm getting a tattoo tomorrow, and her just being like, right, you're going to have the worst night's sleep ever. I'm going to knock over your cereal and your coffee, anything to stop you getting tattooed. And I hate to say it, Mum, it won't stop me getting tattooed, but it will make the experience a lot worse. And is that what you want? Probably you want me to stop getting tattoos, so yes. Now, moving on to some UFO news, or I should say UAP news. So, news came out today about how a declassified version of the latest US Defence Intelligence report on UFOs is going to be made public within the coming days. They changed to UAP recently, within the last few years, I think. It stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And I believe, from what I could find, they did this to try and shrug off the old stigma of UFOs. Just because UFOs sort of had this as a stigma of like little grey alien men and flying spaceships, and I think they're trying to move away from that because UAPs are all different things. They can be like little tic tac shaped things. They can be flying saucers. They can be 
lights. So I think they're just trying to shift away from that and also just to try and get some of the stigma away from it. How many times can I say stigma in one sentence? You know, let's keep counting. However, they have said, don't try to get too excited for this report. Well, they haven't said don't try to get too excited, but basically, if you're a UAP enthusiast, apparently it's unlikely that the government are going to come outright and class any unidentified sightings as extraterrestrial spacecrafts. It's more that they're going to come out and say, there are things, but we don't know what they are. And that isn't them saying it's definitely extraterrestrial or alien or whatever. It's just them saying, we can't identify these at the moment. As someone who's not really, I'm going to be honest, not really that into UFOs and UAPs, I think purely because for me it's fact. And I know it is for a lot of people who, you know, really are interested in this. But for me, I've got no investment in it. So I don't know why. I just see it as fact and I'm a bit like, yeah, maybe we should leave him alone because we haven't exactly been great at making friends in general. Yeah, my stance always been whatever is out there, leave it be. Now, of course, if you're really into UAPs and UFOs, you might find this exciting because it's sort of more evidence that something foreign may be entering our skies, you know, something from another galaxy, another world. And I completely get that. A spokesperson for the Officer of the Director of National Intelligence, who are the agency responsible for submitting UAP assessments to Capitol Hill, declined to comment on the contents of the report. So I guess we will just have to keep our eyes peeled and see what it brings. As I said, like many people are excited about this, not because they want proof necessarily of aliens, but because it's sort of the acknowledgement from officials. It's something that so many people get ridiculed about. You know, people in the RAF, they've come out about these things they've seen and sort of been completely ridiculed back into silence. And, you know, we all know the stereotypes of someone who's into UFOs. And again, it's ridicule that they often get. And so to just have that acknowledgement from officials that, yeah, there are things out there that we can't currently explain, we don't have the data to explain, then, yeah, people are really excited for that. And I'm not going to take that away from you. I think that would be really cool. I mean, I, I would get just as excited if these officials were coming out and saying, you know what, we've reviewed these clips from paranormal investigators and we agree, like, we can't explain that. We think that, you know, at the moment we don't have the data to explain it, so... We will call it unidentified ghostal sightings. Ghostal sightings? I don't know. It came from somewhere. I would find that really exciting. So, you know, yeah, be excited. I really wish someone could come out and say that about ghosts. (laughs) Next, let's go on to some true crime news. So I'm going to give a little trigger warning for this of infant death. It's not what everyone wants to talk about it's not what i want to talk about but it is a huge case going on in the uk at the moment and that is the trial of lucy letby so if you haven't heard about lucy letby she's a 32 year old pediatric nurse she's 32 now and she worked at a hospital in chester she has been accused of killing seven babies and attempting to kill 10 others in 2015 and 2016 so she'd have been about 25 26 at the time This case is really horrible and heartbreaking, as is every case that we cover. Lucy Letby worked with premature babies at the neonatal unit, and the evidence is really stacking up against her. At the moment, obviously, she's innocent until proven guilty, and I never want to throw someone under the bus who has been, you know, not convicted yet, because 
we've seen people be wrongly accused. We've seen it happen. We've seen their lives be turned upside down about it. You know, people say, oh, no smoke without fire and all this. But I think it's really dangerous to decide someone is guilty before they're proven to be guilty. But I have to say the evidence is there. And from being a nurse myself, some of the evidence I can see how it would have emerged. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of it. But yeah, I don't think we should also dogpile on her just yet. Because we also know that even if someone is accused and then acquitted, there's the, that gets attached to them. You know, the, the accusation follows them around. So it, it's difficult. But like I said, there's a lot of evidence. So there are babies dying or collapsing after she had been around them on her own with the parents literally walking in on her being sort of milling around their baby but not really doing anything like you know not fussing them not holding them not feeding them clothing them washing them nothing like that but sort of milling around but for seemingly no reason which in itself is an evidence but then you know babies would afterwards die or collapse um and have to be you know they'd attempt to resuscitate them without success and then they sort of noticed this pattern that there was an increase of neonatal deaths when she worked night shifts. And, you know, in most hospitals, it's, it's really silly because it's the same in my A&E department. There's less staff on at night. Now, this works on wards a little bit more because patients tend to be asleep. And so these deaths were happening more at night. So they decided to move her onto the day shift, partly to keep more of an eye on her because they were noticing these patterns but also partly because they thought maybe she's just really not good at night shifts. Maybe she's making drug errors or she's sort of overlooking things that she shouldn't be, which sounds like a pretty unsafe nurse, but they kind of had no proof that it was linked to her. However, they then swapped her to day shifts and the trend of death seems to follow her on day shifts as well. So that really didn't look good. And this is so sad, like... (sighs) It's sad when anyone dies and even sadder when they're killed. But premature babies are just so vulnerable and innocent. I can't imagine looking at a tiny baby and wanting to do anything more than protect that being. Like, I'm not even a huge baby person. Like, I really like kids. And yet I just would look at a baby and just want to protect them from everything bad. So I was a premature baby. I weighed four pounds something. When I was born, my nephew was the same. Um, my oldest friend's daughter was in the neonate unit for weeks after she was born. Uh, happily, she turned 10 years old this week, actually. Happy birthday, Poppy. And all of the babies who died, whether at her hand or otherwise, they would have all been, you know, similar sizes to myself, my nephew and to Poppy. And perhaps smaller as well. And I think if you've ever seen... A four pound baby. As I said, like just the thought of wanting to hurt any sort of child that's defenseless, but then a baby and then thinking even more a premature baby that's already got the struggles. You know, they've, they, they're not fully grown. Uh, they have to be in incubators. The immune system isn't as strong, maybe. You know, they've, they're facing other challenges as it is. Never mind just being a baby. But to then look at that life and do anything other than nurture is just beyond me. And these babies all deserve to live. As does anyone, of course, who dies prematurely or is killed. Or even if you're killed at like 99 years old, you deserve to live and live out your natural life. 
But these babies literally have their whole lives ahead of them. And I'm not a parent myself, so I can't imagine how hard it is to leave your tiny baby in the care of others. I've had friends leave their babies for the first time for a night and they just sit there and cry um, and go home. Or they just sit there going, oh, I don't know. You know, they really um and are about it. And that's when the baby's like, you know, a couple of months old, but they're leaving this tiny baby that's already so vulnerable in the care of others. Even if they're specialised nurses and doctors, they're still strangers and still, you know... I've been present at births and I've seen the midwives say, right, we're just going to go and take your baby and do a vitamin K injection. We'll be back in a minute. And I remember one of the mums saying, no, they're too small to be on their own. She was on a lot of drugs at the time, bless her. And she was really emotional. As birth makes you. And they're like, no, she won't be on her own. We're going to be with her. And the dad's coming too. And they're like, no, she can't be on her own. She's too small. So... You know, it must be really hard to leave your baby on their own in this neonate unit, but you're doing it at least in the trust of these specialised nurses and doctors. And most of them are absolutely fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But to then not only lose your child and be grieving, but to have your trust shattered in those professionals and in the system, it's just unimaginable. And it's, it's really disgusting as well that someone would come and do this if that is in fact what has happened. So, the court case is currently ongoing at Manchester Crown Court, where the parents of one of the alleged victims, and no names of parents or children have been released at the moment, so they're not identifying the parents, and they're referring to the children as child A, B, C, D, etc. So, alleged victim, child D, the parents have said how their daughter was ill, and they both had felt quite neglected, both pre- and postnatally. They felt all the doctors were quite blasé about how limp their daughter was. The mum felt like she had an infection before she gave birth. So they they didn't really have a good experience at the hospital anyway. But they also said that they were never told that their daughter was in danger of dying. (sighs) However, the night that she did die, and they went in to see the doctor trying to resuscitate and then cease resuscitation and pronounce her dead, Lucy Letby texted a colleague after her shift. The texts were shown in court, and these are them, as follows. So Lucy texted a colleague at 8.36am saying, We had such a rubbish night, our job is just far too sad sometimes. The colleague replied, No, what happened? We lost child D. What? But she was improving. What happened? Wanna chat? I can't believe you're on again. You're having such a tough time. Lucy Letby then referred to child B being messed about a couple of times and referred to a rash that looked like overwhelming sepsis. She said that it had been a shock, adding that she felt a bit numb this time. In the messages, Lucy Letby said her job has so many positives, but sometimes she wondered, how do such sick babies get through and others just die so unexpectedly? She said that she thought there was an element of fate involved and that there's a reason for everything. Her colleague then went on to say... You go to bed. You're an excellent nurse, Lucy. Don't forget it. This is the thing. This could be a conversation I have with one of my colleagues one day. You know, we all in that profession have shifts where something horrible happens and someone passes or, you know, a horrible trauma comes in to where I work. And things don't always go how you want them to. And, you know, saying that there was a rash that looked like sepsis, you know, that's something we look out for. That's that is true. And you do sometimes feel a bit numb because there's an element of having to detach yourself 
from you know all the grief and the trauma because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do your job so in a way I really understand what she's saying here but then obviously if there is a layer to this that she was responsible for that death and it's even you know mentioned here of I can't believe you're on again you're having such a tough time you know referencing how many deaths she is seeing if there is a layer to her being responsible for this it's just really sick and twisted and part of me doesn't want to believe that she is responsible for this because I don't want to believe that anyone could do that also to add to that you know her saying that I can't believe you're on again you're having such a tough time we do have things in the profession called like shit magnets is what we call each other and that's it doesn't tend to refer to people coming in and and dying we're not that blase about it ever but you know more like there's certain people who you joke that when they're on shift you'll have like three traumas come in at once and really unwell people come in and you know really high pressures and really low staffing sort of like you know shit will hit the fan when they're around so I can see that respect but yeah I don't think I can really think of anyone where I, I think to myself oh a lot of people die around them and I think if I did think that it would be something that others would be noticing too and these are trends that you have to look out for it's not something that crosses my mind about any of my colleagues thankfully it's not something that's ever crossed my mind it seems like other people were noticing trends around her and they were changing her shifts to keep an eye on her and to see if it was something that was causing it that, you know, wasn't intentional. But we shall see. And we will keep you updated with what goes on and the outcome. Regardless of the verdict, our hearts go out to the 17 families affected by this. So I think it might be 16. I think one of them might have been twins, which is more heart-wrenching in many ways. And to her colleagues who will be feeling all sorts of ways... They might be jumping to defend her. They might be feeling guilty. My heart goes out to them as well. I don't know how I'd feel in this situation. I hope I never have to know. But ultimately, a parent should never lose a child, ever. But losing an infant is just additionally tragic, isn't it? And especially in such a cruel way. Now, if anyone listening to this has been affected by infant death, you can get support from the charity Sands, who work to support anyone affected by the death of a baby to improve the care bereaved parents receive and to create a world where fewer babies die. You can call their helpline on 0808 164 3332. That's 0808 164 3332. You can find more information on their helplines, including their email address and how to access a local support group on their website, which is sands.org.uk. That's sands.org.uk. And if you are struggling with that, I'm really sorry to hear that. My heart goes out to you. (laughs) Now for something local to myself and Jess. The Saturday just before Halloween, 29th of October 2022, a member of the public alerted police after believing that they had spotted a body on the bank of the River Avon near the Bedminster Bridge in Bristol. Police, ambulance and the fire service attended, where they were able to recover the body. Sadly, the individual was pronounced dead at the scene. Whilst formal identification hasn't yet taken place at the time of recording, it is believed that the deceased matches the description of a 54-year-old man called Bakar, who was last seen on Wednesday, October 26th and was reported missing. Right now, Avon and Somerset Constabulary are not treating his death as suspicious, but if this changes, we will, of course, update you all. And again, our hearts just go out to Bakar's family and friends. And if you have any further information about Bakar, about where he was during those days, or about the body discovered, 
please get in contact with police. <laughs> okay, and on to our last true crime update. We've got six teenagers, though calling them teenagers, they're actually all 18. 18, yes, they're teenagers, but old enough to know way better. They are currently on trial for an attack on a man that left him dead on May 22nd of this year. A 30-year-old man called Frantisek Ola was stabbed around 20 times on the doorstep of his home in Basingstoke with a two-foot-long knife just metres away from his partner, Chelsea Lee, and young child by three men aged 18. The men accused are Jidane Carty, Cohen Daly, Ismaila Kamara Jarrah. Apparently, after killing Mr Ola, the trio ran away, making jokes and laughing. They were then helped to flee the scene by three 18-year-old girls named Kelsey Byrne, Keisha Saunders and Abby Mills. These three women also apparently hid evidence for the men as well. Sadly, Mr Ola was pronounced dead on May 23rd, 2022 from blood loss. So it's said that this was over drugs, with Mr Ola knowing the accused Mr Carty through cannabis deals. And this is just so senseless. Like, okay, it's never okay to use violence and to kill people. But over drugs? It's just so tragic. It's so senseless. Like, this this man has lost his life. His partner's lost their partner. Kid has lost their dad. You know, other family members have lost their relative. And for what, drugs? Really? One of Kamara Jarrah's friends states that he had told him that they killed Mr Ola because... He raised the prices of drugs and was being mean to them. Now, look, if you want to do drugs, it's not for me to comment on drug use. And, you know, if I said, don't do drugs, they're bad. Like, no one's going to listen. But if you want to do them and your dealer has raised the price, I'm going to go ahead and say, just find a new dealer. Surely if there's a dealer who has raised their price and enough of his customers or their customers go elsewhere, they'll realise that raising that price didn't work. Now, I understand it might be a sign of disrespect or something, but just go elsewhere. Like, if if there's anything else that you don't like the price of, you just don't go there. You just don't shop there. Okay, this is coming from someone who doesn't use drugs because you could just tell by the way I'm speaking about it that I clearly don't really know what I'm talking about. But my advice would be, if you don't like the price of something, go elsewhere. But you know what? Also, if someone's being mean to you, The adult thing to do as an 18-year-old who thinks they're adult enough to decide who lives and dies, the adult thing to do is walk away, to not engage. But we also all know that none of us are perfect, so if you must be, be mean back, shout at them, have an argument, have a fight. But you know what? Don't take a two-foot knife that's apparently part serrated. Like, don't kill them. You know, like, maybe that's controversial, but if you don't like someone, don't kill them. Sadly, it appears that this was all very much planned, with the men knowing what they intended to do that day, and the women waiting to be called to help them. I literally can't imagine what goes through people's minds. To have one person kill someone is horrible. To have a duo is also insane. But to think that six people got together to orchestrate this. Like, I can't imagine being part of a world where someone suggests killing someone, and five other people go, yeah, all right, yeah, sound, let's do it. It's just disgusting. It's mind-boggling. It's a whole new world to me. But yeah, that's apparently what happened. All three men deny murder, and all three women deny assisting an offender. We'll see. We'll see what comes out. I don't really know how they deny it. Apparently the CCTV footage and Chelsea Lee, Mr Ola's partner, was able to identify the men. 
you know, she watched it happen. But yeah, there's there's witnesses, there's a neighbour who witnessed it, there's CCTV footage of the women driving the men around to dispose of evidence. So I, I don't really see how they're denying it. I think they might be trying to say it was manslaughter and that they didn't mean to kill him. But when you go to someone's house with a two-foot serrated blade, that was just one of the weapons as well. When you go to someone's house with a knife to stab them, how are you not intending to kill them? I also believe they stabbed him in the torso. Now, I would say most places you get stabbed in the torso are pretty bad places. If you don't want to kill someone, stick to the lower leg. But maybe just don't stab people. Maybe if you don't want to kill someone, don't show up at their door with a knife and a getaway vehicle. Makes me so angry and people try and say, well, I didn't mean to kill him. Don't stab him then. Then you know what? The chances of you killing them are pretty fucking low if you don't stab them. You know what, I bet one of them will get away with manslaughter because, oh, they weren't as involved as the others. They still knew that their mate was showing up on the door with a knife. You know what, if, you, if you'd if you punched him in, he'd fallen and hit his head. Manslaughter. Still horrible. Still should not punch someone. But understandable. But you go to someone's house with any sort of knife and you want to tell me you didn't mean to kill him. What were you doing with that knife then? As I said, the trial is expected to last around eight weeks and is still ongoing. Now, my thoughts are with Chelsea Lee, their young son, and of course, with Frantisek's friends and family. And I just hope they all get the justice for him that he deserves. Nothing will make it okay. Nothing will bring him back and make him there to be a father to his son, to be a partner to his his partner. But I just hope they get some justice. And I really hope no one sits here and says anything. Oh, he was dealing drugs. Yeah, well, you know what? It's not a perfect world. That doesn't mean he deserves to die. It doesn't make his death any less tragic. And it doesn't make his loss any less. It's just all so sad. (laughs) And that is all we'll be covering this week. So... As I said, this is something that we aim to do monthly on Patreon. They will likely be a little bit longer than this and hopefully a bit more lively. I'm really sorry. I've tried my best to be as engaging as I can be. Entertaining seems like a weird thing to say when we're talking about such subjects, but I've really tried to be as engaging as possible. But it's really difficult when you've got no one to bounce off of. Kudos to anyone who does podcasts on their own because I have been very nervous (laughs) and it's really hard trying to keep your energy up. But yeah, this will be me and Jess in the future bringing news to the table. She'll be bringing news along. I'll be bringing news along. Hopefully you guys will be bringing news along. And yeah, it'll just be once a month, a little bit of a catch up about everything. And it will be available on a higher Patreon tier. So if you did want to check out our Patreon, at the moment there is only a £1 tier and that is for familiars. You know, all good familiars support their witches and that is what the Patreon tier, the familiar tier is for, just to support us. It's a, Like I said, it's a quid or whatever you want monthly to help keep us going because we are independent, we all work full time and we all make no money from this. <laughs> and so if you want to do that, and keep your eye out for bonus content actually being created and released on there, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash true crime coven pod. That's true crime coven pod, P-O-D. But for now, remember to always keep the victims in your mind and at the forefront of any true crime case. Stay compassionate, stay sympathetic, stay human always, but of course... Stay spooky! 
Hey guys, if you have a ghost story or a case suggestion, please email us truecrimecobinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at truecrimecoven or on Instagram and Facebook where we are at truecrimecovenpod. Also, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate us wherever you're listening to this right now, be it Spotify, Apple Music, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up, click that bell, get notifications every time we post. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Make these two witches smile. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thanks, witches. witches.